Uh, I want you to think for just a second with me, kind of do a, a thought experiment. And so suspend some, I guess, some of uh, the, the distance or the, the struggles of what I'm going to say. But just pretend this is going to happen for a second. Today's Sunday. You leave here today. You go out of this place. And uh, you get a phone call or a message or whatever it may be. And uh, the message is Jesus of Nazareth, the historical Jesus that we're looking at in the Gospels, is coming to your house. And so today's Sunday. Friday, he's showing up. He's coming to your house, and he's going to stay the weekend with you, right? So Friday night, Saturday night, spending the night, he's hanging out with you. Whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, he's just going to hang out with you. He's going with you. And so you get this message that he's coming, and he's going to be there on Friday. And so my question is, what I want you to consider for just a second, suspend disbelief of just he's here, and now he's right here at your house spending the time with you. But what do you do to get ready? Right? Like, what do you immediately, right? I know some people are like, I'm cleaning the house, right? Like, <laughs> I get some things together like pretty quick. Like, I don't want them to see my house like this. But I want you just to think about it. What would your week be like in anticipation? What would you do, right? Would you, would you spend more time uh, reading God's word? Would you maybe pray more? Would you, just what would you do? How would you prepare? Who would you tell? Like, who would you share that with? Who would you maybe invite over? he's coming to my house. Would you come over and hang out with us? Like, who would that be? Like, what would that week be like leading up to that, that preparation? If he was coming to spend time with you at your house Friday. And so I want you just to think about that for a second, because as we open our text and what we're reading is we're just in the very beginning, starting this series through the gospels of Jesus's earthly ministry and his life. We're introduced to a man named John, John the Baptist, as we often call him. And he is a unique character with an important role. And it's announcing that Jesus is now here. That was his role. Uh, God calls him to this. And he has this role of coming to kind of prepare the way and tell people, get ready. He's now here. You're about to meet him. You're about to see him. He's about to start this ministry and come. And so John is doing that. And we're going to look at that in Matthew chapter 3. But I want you to kind of hold that in your mind. What would it be like preparing for him to come to your house? I think there's a lot of uh, parallels and correlation there. But as we look at Matthew chapter 3 this morning, and we think about John the Baptist and his ministry and how he prepares the way, and then as Jesus comes onto the scene, the way I want us to think about it is this. First, what is John doing to prepare the way? I'm just kind of big picture of what he was doing and what God called him to do. Secondly, what he's he calling the people to, and I would say us, in his, his ministry and what he's doing, John the Baptist, and why? And then lastly, as we look at that, how does Jesus then arrive on the heels of John preparing the way, right? We see all this in Matthew chapter three, but I just want us to kind of ask those questions as we're working through it. So let's just start with what John is doing to prepare the way. And I want us to think about John and his role for a minute. If you were with us last week, we looked at John chapter one and said in a lot of ways, that's kind of the prologue of everything that happens in Jesus ministry because John chapter one, one to 17 that we looked at last week. The apostle John is telling us kind of eternity past about who Jesus is. He's the creator. He is God. He has always existed. He's eternal. He is the one that is the light and life of the world. We said he is the logos. That's the word John uses for word, which means divine truth. That Jesus is the truth that is now coming into the world that created all things. And he says all this great, big, huge theological truths at the beginning of John 1. But what I... We, we kind of almost skimmed over right in the middle. 
is he talks about John the Baptist in that introduction, this guy, John, that we're going to see today. And he says in John chapter one, verses six and seven, and as I mentioned this last week, apostle John, one of the disciples, John the Baptist, different guys. So apostle John writing about John the Baptist. And he says in John one, verse six and seven, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he was a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And so John kind of points out that John the Baptist had a special calling. I mean, you think about even the way he describes him and what he says. There was a man sent from God. That John had a special calling that he was sent from God to prepare the way. To say that Jesus is now here. And you see, uh, uh, if you follow through in the Gospels, that there's, a, there's quite a bit about John the Baptist right there at the beginning. If you go and you read Luke chapter 1, that was kind of part of our reading through the Gospels uh, this past week, if you were doing that. It talks about uh, the birth of John the Baptist and how an angel was sent to his parents and said, you're going to have this child. Mother was barren. Parents were much older. And he says, God's going to do this work in your life and you're going to have this child and he's going to have a special calling. He's going to prepare the way uh, for Jesus to come. And so you see that if you go read that in Luke chapter one, that John had this special and unique ministry and he had a special and unique ministry, but he's also kind of a unique fellow. Actually, as you, as you read here, it says, if you look in the beginning in chapter three, verse one, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And then in verse four, it says, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. And he's kind of a unique guy, right? Like he's, he's, uh, doesn't dress the way everybody does. He's a man that kind of lives out in the wilderness. He lives off the land. He, he's very loud. Uh, you're you're going to see he's, he's very kind of brash and in people's face. And he's saying what he's come to say. And so you see this with John the Baptist, that he's kind of a unique guy that God has sent, uh, kind of quirky in the way he dresses and the way he operates. But he's very effective in his singular purpose of announcing the way for Jesus. And I'll tell you, when I read about John the Baptist, uh, whenever I read these parts in the gospel, it always reminds me of a friend I had in seminary. Uh, he's, he became like my best friend in seminary. And I met this guy right at the beginning of seminary. His name was Matt. And Matt Williams uh, was larger than life in personality, but in stature. He's like about 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He had a wingspan, like his arms, seven foot one was his wingspan. So he had these huge, long arms, great big hands, really like intense in a good way very kind and gracious, but never met a stranger. And I I remember vividly meeting him and getting to be friends. And we would walk into a restaurant and sit down to eat. And within five minutes, the five tables around us would be part of our conversation. He'd be like, what do you think? And these big hands and he's, oh, what do you think God means by that? And people would be like, whoa, who is, and I always think of Matt when I think of John the Baptist, that there's this guy out in the wilderness that's preaching and proclaiming and he's saying these things and he's very loud and kind of brash and kind of quirky and unique. And there he is in the midst of this and God gives him this special calling. And so when you read here, it says he's in the, the wilderness of Judea. And in verse five and six, it says, then Jerusalem and all of Judea and the region around the Jordan were coming out to him and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And so when we start to think about Jesus's ministry, right? We said last week, we're starting 
what's going to be a long series where we're kind of looking through the Gospels. We're looking at all four Gospels together, kind of a harmony of the Gospels following Jesus' life. It's helpful here, some of the things, the, the clues we get even at the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry for the lay of the land. And I mean that very, very literally, right? It's, it says he was out uh, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And then it says all the people of Jerusalem and Judea and the region were going out to the Jordan. And so I don't know if you've ever looked at this, but if you look in most Bibles, they have a, a map of the area in which Jesus is ministry. And all the maps basically look, uh, it's, they're real easy to spot and kind of easy to see because you have a, a circle at the top that's the Sea of Galilee. You have a circle at the bottom that's the Dead Sea. And then you have the Jordan River that connects the two. If you've ever seen this map, it's the circle at the top, the big circle at the bottom. The circle at the bottom right to the west is Jerusalem. The circle at the top right to the west is Nazareth. And that gives you kind of the lay of the area in which all Jesus' ministry took place. And so just getting your head around what's, what's happening there, if you think about just the distances and what's going on, I, I think most of you here have been to Dahlonega before. Uh, some of you, I think, live in Dahlonega. But if you go out of the church and you go up 400, 15 minutes you're in Dahlonega, right? This little square up there, and it's a pretty little town. If you go to Dahlonega and you're standing in the middle of the square... And then you leave there and you go to Georgia Tech down in Atlanta. If you've been down there, right by where the old varsity is, right there in the middle of Atlanta, 65 miles, same distance from Nazareth to Jerusalem. You start to get an idea of where Jesus came from. He grew up in Nazareth. He grew up in the mountains, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And he would come down to Jerusalem, the center of everything where the temple was and what was happening. And the connection to get there was you would travel along the Jordan River Valley. You would leave Nazareth and you'd go east and you'd go over and you'd travel down and then you'd go back. And so what it's telling us is John the Baptist is out in the wilderness by the Jordan River where everyone travels, right? The main travel route of where they went from the north, Sea of Galilee, that area where Jesus is from, down to Jerusalem and back. And where the Jews would then travel for all the different festivals and things that would go on, where they would come to the temple. And John the Baptist is out there in the wilderness preaching. He's camped on kind of the main roadway, right? Like you, you go from Dahlonega and you take 400 down to 85 down to get to Atlanta. That's where he is. He's right on the main highway where everybody goes through and he's proclaiming, he's preaching in the wilderness. He's the voice that's out there. And he's crying out and he's preaching and he's telling people to get ready. And so I want you to think about what he's doing here as we ask the question, how is he preparing the way? It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And so I want to start with verse three for just a second. Because it's not just here in Matthew, but it's in Mark 1 and in Luke chapter 3. All three of the synoptic gospels all quote Isaiah here. It's, it's actually the passage that Luke read at the beginning. Isaiah chapter 40 is talking about when God is going to come and set things right. And this was to a people in the middle of dealing with exile and all sorts of difficult things. All the stuff that we kind of looked at when we looked through Daniel. So we did that together last year. And they're dealing with all these things. And the prophet comes and says, God himself is going to come to set things right. And when he does, there's going to be a messenger that comes before him to prepare the way. And what Matthew's telling us and what Mark tells us and what Luke tells us is John the Baptist is that guy. 
He's the voice crying in the wilderness that's there to prepare the way because the Lord himself is coming. And so I don't want you to miss this, but in all three of the synoptic gospels, what the authors are saying, those eyewitnesses, those followers of Jesus are making the clear connection for their audience when they write that down to say that we're all saying that as Jesus came, that is God himself that God had been promising for thousands of years. That 700 years before to the prophet Isaiah, he said, God himself is going to come and there's one that's going to prepare the way. And that's John the Baptist pointing to Jesus. And so you start to get what's happening here, what John is doing. But then I want you to think about the, the, the message that he has, what he's calling them to and what he's saying as he does, as he's, as he's preaching in this place. And so it says he's preaching in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom is at hand. He's saying, get ready. Turn from the way that you're living now and prepare yourself because God himself is coming. The Messiah is coming. He's now here and he's saying that, but there's some context that's going on in the background that he's speaking into. And you see it if you, if you read closely in verse five and following, it says, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, Pharisees and Sadducees being the religious leaders of the day, they come out and he sees them and he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, right? So you see, John's pretty direct. (laughs) There's not a lot of nuance in what he says. You snakes, who told you to come out here, right? And he says that to them. And then he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the roots of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire and his winnowing fork in his hand. He shall clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so I want you to think about what he's telling him. He's speaking with great urgency and authority, and it lines up with exactly what John said last week. The light and life of the world, the very logos, the very divine truth that created all things is now here. So get ready. That's what he's telling them. Do you realize who is now here and he's coming and he's calling them to repentance, right? He's calling them to this baptism of water with water for repentance because the one who is coming after me is mightier than I. And he starts to tell us kind of what's happening here, right? Get right with God because God is now coming and he's here. And he's speaking directly to that. And he uses an image there in verse 12 about he has his winnowing fork in his hand and he's going to clear the the threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn. And John the Baptist is doing uh, what you see Jesus do a whole lot in his ministry. We're going to see this over and over throughout the Gospels. He's teaching in a way that, that captures some things that people are used to, things of their culture that they know, right? agrarian society, farming society. He says he's got his threshing uh, in his hand and he's ready to do this, his threshing fork in his hand and he's, he's gonna do, and he's talking about when they harvest and everybody there would have known what he was saying. 
But when you harvest wheat, you go and you take the threshing fork, which is like a, a pitchfork, basically. And you take a, uh, the crop and you take it in it and you throw it up and you kind of knock off the chaff and the chaff floats away and the wheat falls to the ground. It says he's going to come and he's going to bring all that together. And he's going to gather it all together. And so the image that John is using is that Jesus is coming and he's coming to save and he's calling you to faith and there's no faking it. Right? When the divine truth steps in, the light of the world that created all things, he sees all things for exactly as they are. And if you're putting on a good show and you're pretending like you're good with God and you're going, look at me and you're putting on a good outward, he says he sees right through you. That doesn't work. So repent. Get ready. And that's his message that he's saying over and over. Now, there's some cultural context here that we kind of need to know that that's true. What he's saying is true of all of us. It's not just specific to the culture, but there is a specific cultural context that he's speaking to. And if you look closely, you see it even in this text. You saw it in the text last week in John chapter 1. Right, John chapter 1 and verse 11, it says, He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That was John 1, 11 and 12 we looked at last week. Right? The default of our sinful hearts wants to make our relationship with God based on what we do. My works, my heritage, my stuff, I'm a pretty good person. I've got these things together. And what had happened at that time in Judaism is they had embraced that wholeheartedly in a whole lot of ways. We're God's people because he chose us. We're special because we're Israel. We're sons of Abraham. We're good because we're the Jewish people. And John is standing there boldly proclaiming, don't you dare think you're saved by your heritage. Right? He says that to the religious leaders when they show up. He, he anticipates, as he calls them snakes, right? You brood of vipers, who warned you? Bear fruit in keeping with, with repentance. And then he anticipates what they're going to say. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I'm able, I will tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. It's a very similar argument that we saw in Romans. If you were with us when we went through the book of Romans. Paul's saying to the Jews as the Gentiles are coming in, don't presume on your Jewishness. And Gentiles, don't you presume it's all God's grace. And so here John stands and tells them, don't you dare start thinking that because of your heritage that that's what makes you good with God. And he's calling them to a personal repentance. You repent of the sin in your life. You repent of the areas where you're trusting yourself. You repent of the places where you think you're good with God because of your background or your parents or you've grown up in the church, right? It's not just unique to Jews in the first century that what John is saying, but it's relevant to every single one of us because the sinfulness of our heart does this all the time. We start to think we're good with God based on what we do rather than what God has done. I mean, remember what it said in John last week. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The whole relationship with Jesus, the logos that has now come, is by putting your faith in him. 
and who he is and what he has come to do. And he says, for those who believed in him and put their faith in him, he gave the right to become sons of God. In John 1, 13, it says, those who were born, they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. They came to faith by God's mercy in their life, not because of their background and not because of their flesh and not because of where they came from, because of God's mercy. And John's warning the people, get ready, but don't you dare think that you're getting ready because of this outward facade you've got going on. It's calling them to true repentance. To see that God has come and he's now here. This is a, we talked about this last week, but it's a one-way street of his grace to us. We're the ones that are in need and he comes to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And so I want you just to think about John's message to the people in the first century that were presuming because they were Jewish, that they're good with God, that that's a message that we need to hear as well. Because we do the same thing all the time. We're all prone to that same heart, the sinfulness of our heart, that it's about me and what I do. And so we do it today, not, not in Jewishness, not as an Israelite, but we do it as Americans. Americans, God's country, and we're American, and we conflate being an American with being a Christian. And so therefore, if I'm a good American, I'm a good Christian, and God's pleased with me. It's not how it works. But we do those sort of things all the time. We start to say, well, our country's better than that country, so God's pleased with us. By the way, there's nothing wrong with patriotism. There's nothing wrong with loving the place where God has placed you and where you've grown up. The problem becomes when we start to think of it as a superiority thing. Or that we are then closer to God because we live in this place versus that place. And if we begin to do that, we need to repent. In the same way that John is calling these people to repent. The same thing when we take theology. Theology is important. Right knowledge of God leads to right affections for God. And so what God tells us and what he says is important and we should be fighting to, to understand those things and to see them clearly. But when we take the theology and we go, yes, I understand that and I understand it better than those people. And I'm so smart and I read more than so-and-so reads. And I start to think that I'm now closer to God because of my theological astuteness. I've done the same thing. And John's message is the same, repent. Or we even take, as sad as it is, we take theology, we take things that God says that are true and are good and are right, and somehow we distort them to make it about us. I believe God is sovereign in salvation, and he sovereignly chooses those that will come to faith. And then sometimes people take that and twist that and go, look at me, I'm chosen. But the Bible says he chooses by his grace, by his sovereign will. Not because there's anything good in me. I am alone, just a recipient of his grace and nothing else. And as soon as I start to twist it to be about me, I need to repent. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, as he says. And we all need to do that in different ways. Part of it is if you just grew up in the church. We live in the South, the social kind of construct of the gospel. Well, I grew up in the church and my dad was a deacon and so I'm good with God. John's message is the same, repent. 
don't presume, right? The same thing he says to the Jewish leaders. Don't presume because you say Abraham was your father. Don't presume because your dad was a deacon in the church. You repent, you come to God, you trust him. And that's the message that he's calling us to. Turn from trusting yourself, putting your background in these things and turn and put your trust in God and his provision and what he's doing. And that's what he's saying. And so what you see here is John says that God has uniquely gifted him and called him to this ministry and people are receiving it. And it says they're coming and they're being baptized. They're being baptized for the repentance of their sins and they're, they're hearing what he's saying. They're going, yes, the Messiah's here and God is calling a people to himself and people are getting excited and John plays this role and it's in this uh, setting that Jesus shows up and he walks in and here he is. And really what we say is that this is the beginning of Jesus's ministry as he steps onto the scene and he's baptized by John. Now, best we can tell, if you put it all together, Jesus's ministry 27 AD to 30 AD, a little over three years, his public ministry. Most scholars believe that you rewind a little bit to the summer of about 26 AD when this is happening. This is the very beginning. And Jesus steps in. Not a lot happens in terms of his public ministry for a little bit after this, but he steps in and he's kind of like he's, he's announced by John the Baptist and he's connected with this baptism. And here he comes. And he steps in and look what happens. Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee, right? So he left Dahlonega and he came all the way down 400 and got to like 285. And there's John preaching the gospel and he steps in and he says, he comes to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fulfilling for us to fill all righteousness. And then he consented and Jesus was baptized. And so here's John kind of shaking things up and he's proclaiming the kingdom and God is now here and he's coming in this baptism. And then Jesus shows up and says, well, baptize me. And I don't know about you, but, but I think it's probably the same for all of us. If you're John the Baptist in that situation, you would say exactly what he said. Whoa, I need to be baptized by you. What do you mean baptize you? Right? That's what John says. Like, whoa, 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 no, you baptize me. Why would I baptize you? And and think about everything that we just said, right? If, If everyone's coming to be baptized for the repentance of sins, to prepare that God is now here, to confess that you're putting your faith in things other than God, to repent of that and turn towards its God and God alone. Why in the world would Jesus need to be baptized? Why is Jesus' first act that I'm going to show up and I will be baptized by John? He doesn't need to repent of anything. There is no sin. There's nothing for him to repent of. So why does Jesus show up and do this? And I think the answer exalts who Jesus is, who God is. And the way he loves us. Jesus' answer gives us a, a good clue. Verse 15. But Jesus answered him, let it be so. For thus it is fulfilling for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented and Jesus was baptized. Fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus' life was the fulfillment 
of all righteousness, coming to do for us what we haven't done. I say this all the time. Jesus lived the life that we haven't lived, and he died the death that we deserved. His active obedience and his passive obedience. His active obedience, doing everything that we haven't done and doing it perfectly, being counted with us, fully human, tempted in every way, but doing it perfectly. His passive obedience is taking on our sin and paying for it for us. And so when Jesus steps in and he's going to be counted with us as people and he will submit to the baptism and do this, he's showing us how to do everything perfectly. All righteousness is being fulfilled in Jesus. His very life is the fulfillment of all righteousness. And so he comes to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, which, by the way, is what Isaiah 40 tells us. There's going to be one who prepares the way and points because God himself is coming. And he is the only one that can do all of it perfectly. Right? Isaiah 53 that talks about the suffering servant, Jesus. Isaiah 53 says that very thing in verse 11. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. He's going to come and do everything perfectly, his active obedience. And so Jesus steps in to be counted with us, his active obedience to do for us what we haven't done for ourselves to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus doesn't need to be baptized for repentance. He's coming to be counted with us and show us what it looks like to do it perfectly because he's doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. And then all of a sudden as he does so, First of all, you just think about what a beautiful picture of humility that is. He doesn't need to be baptized for the repentance of sin. But you are my people, and I'm going to be counted with you, and I'm going to submit myself to this. John, it's okay. Right? I mean, he could have easily said to John, you're right. You should be baptized by me. But it's okay. We're going to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And he's baptized. And as he's finished, the heavens were opened above him. And they saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. I want you to think about that for a second. As he submits for all righteousness to be fulfilled. And he comes out of the water. And literally the spirit descends and the father speaks and God is saying, this is what I'm like. I am well pleased to come to you in this way to do for you what you could never do for yourselves. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And in the midst of John saying we all need to repent, which we do, we are all hopelessly lost. And then Jesus steps in and I'm here to fulfill all righteousness. And God goes, and that's what I'm like. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. This is the beginning. Get ready for what's about to unfold in front of you. Your salvation, the glory of all creation is now coming to fulfillment. And here it is. And it's such a beautiful picture there. Of God saying, I'm at work and I have come to redeem a people for myself. And you see what you see in John 1, what we said we see in Genesis 1. John 1 mirrors Genesis 1. Father, Son, 
Holy Spirit, all there, all part of it, all God's plan. The Father sends the Son, the Spirit is there, empowering the Son, all the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead is all part of what's happening here. And God says, this is my plan. And this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. And it's a beautiful picture of Jesus' beginning of his ministry, of all of it starting right here. And so I want us just to end today with where we started, right? Jesus is coming to your house. What do you do to be ready? And I just want to remind you when I say that, we go, oh, okay, thought it, what would it be like if he should? He is with you. You leave here today and he's there, right? Jesus says, I never leave you and I never forsake you. And I'm with you always the end of the age. And so when you walk out of here and you go home today, he is there with you in everything that you do. And so you look at the love of the father and what he's done for us and his son and the empowerment of the spirit. What is the proper response? How do we get ready? (laughs) How do we walk with him day in and day out? I got to tell you, Thinking about that this week, it was transformative in a lot of ways. Just thinking like Jesus is with me every day and everything. And then the moments I forget it, I turn into a jerk. (laughs) And then I immediately do something dumb and then I go, oh, but he's here with me, forgiving me. He's been fulfilled all righteousness and I can trust him in that. And I can repent, and he's there waiting. And I want you to just think about what it would be like each day to walk through of like everywhere I go and everything I do, Jesus is with me. What are we going to be about? It's incredibly clarifying. Suddenly, things that you might normally do, you go, Well, if Jesus is here with me, I would never do that. So let's do that. Right? Let's walk with him every day and in everything that we do. That's it. I don't have a good ending other than that. So. That's all I got. I was like, what else? That's it.